This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 129. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Joe. And this is Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic book news and comic book reviews from the weeks of December 15th through January 11th. We're about one week behind and about four weeks since the last episode, specifically because of the holidays and the delay with uh, one of the, the, the weeks of titles. That's part of the reason. The other reason is just scheduling issues. Um, but we do have five books to cover, a little bit of comic news, so let's get straight into it. Uh, with comic news, uh, the very first thing we've got is on December 17th, uh, James Tingian IV uh, posted up a question that was asked to him on his private, uh, not private, but his public blog that he has. And it was talking about, the question regarded the fact that uh, they brought Stephanie Brown back, but they're not bringing Cassandra Kane back. And mm. he, he mentioned, uh, and this person asked, uh, there's a m- massive lack of diversity in the DC Comics is sad, and you have a chance to do it, but you're not. So he responded basically saying, read Batman Eternal before you make any kind of judgment. Half the core cast of the characters is female, and several of our main point of view characters are persons of color including one new character who is going to be monumentally important to the, for the Bat family and the status quo of the Bat books in the next few years. Um, he then went on to say over, uh, say throughout a number of different comments that he, he agrees that there is a lack of diversity, but they're trying to do something about it, and uh, they're, they're trying to make sure that it's evenly spread out. Um, regardless of whether or not he's working on Batman Eternal or any other books that he's working on, he knows that there's a problem and he's trying to address it. Uh, just because Cassandra Kane isn't as coming back a Mac, uh, immediately when Batman Eternal comes, like Stephanie Brown supposedly is, um, that doesn't mean that there's not that that there's not room for her in the future. So. Uh, the o- the only thing that I kind of got out of this is I'm not real sure why anybody would be making some comments about the diversity because in the reality if you look at just the Batman books and you take them outside of DC Comics and make it their own universe as we do with the Batman universe they are, there is a pretty decent amount of diversity within the Bat books themselves not as much as there probably should be but for the most part you know we've got Batwoman who is a lesbian we have Batgirl and Stephanie Brown, which are both females, as well as main female villains like Catwoman and Poison Ivy, who played a pretty big role uh, at the beginning of the New 52 with the Birds of Prey. And then you've got a lot of other characters that have been focused on as well that necessarily aren't part of the, well, that aren't necessarily the, you know, white male characters that everyone thinks that there is with the with, with a, a lot of the villains uh, being that same thing, there, there's been a lot of villains that have been created since the beginning of the New 52 that have been slightly different and things of that nature. Uh, Amanda Waller has played parts in the book. Um, now, I'm not saying that there is there's there is enough diversity. I, I believe that you know there should always be a, a, a decent amount of diversity throughout the books, but I think if you look at the Batman books by themselves, 
they do probably a better job than most of the other groups within the DC comic universe. Uh, yeah, I certainly agree with that there. Uh, I think it's too much of a generalization to say that, you know, there's no diversity there um, because, yeah, I would certainly point out, you know, we do have a lesbian there. And, of course, we do Batwing, obviously, as a person of color. So I think, you know, perhaps they were just focusing in on the fact that there's no person to represent the Asian population, which I can definitely see. And my heart does really go out to all those Cassandra Kane fans, you know, because I'm close friends with one of those people. But I feel like since we did bring Steph Brown back, and, you know, these people aren't deaf, I, I think they definitely hear this outcry. I think it's only, you know, a matter of time. But it could be a long time, right? Because we've been waiting a long time for Cass anyways. But I think it's only a matter of time that Cass could could be brought back into the fold. And um, I, I do agree with Tinian at least just kind of read this eternal and, and see how it works out. So I guess we'll see. All right. On December 19th, it was announced that uh, DC Comics has revealed their newest interactive application that will allow readers to be more engaged with their digital comic books. It's called DC2 Multiverse Graphic Novels. Um, among them is Batman Arkham Origins, which will be a new graphic novel that will release. They're also planning on doing one for Injustice Gods Among Us. Um, it's been re- it's basically remastered. Injustice has been remastered for the Made Fire platform with new motion and sound elements. This is very similar to what we... They announced back in, I believe it was July, with uh, the DC2 addition to some of the Digital First series. Um, not a whole lot of news, but uh, it's it's they're just trying to make uh, some of the comics a little bit more interactive than they already are. But a lot of those books are already books that they have been doing things with. Moving straight along into also December 19th, Francis Manpool teased uh, some of his art that he's been working on. And uh, as we know, he's going to be part of Detective Comics in a very short time, but uh, it turns out some of the artwork that he was showing off features a lot of Kate Kane, which has us wondering if uh, Batwoman is going to be playing a much larger role within the Mm -hmm. Batman universe in the pages of Detective Comics based off of the art. We do have the art over on on the website for you to check out, Um, but it's definitely interesting because this is... Not that Batwoman hasn't made an appearance in other other Bat books, but for the most part, Batwoman has been in her own little world within the Batman universe, and it'll be nice to see it kind of carry over into the main Bat books as well. Do you think that means, because remember, like, several months ago, we had talked about uh, these creators deciding to step down from the Batwoman title. Do you think they're foreseeing, like, taking that title out of play completely, and now she's only going to find herself in a backup in Detective consistently? I honestly don't think that would be the case. If they were going to do that, I think they it would have been smarter for them to do that before bringing on, to, bringing on a new team. Um, the sales numbers for the first issue that... Well, the sales numbers aren't bad for Batwoman, but then again, neither were the sales numbers for Batman the Dark Knight when they canceled that series. So it's hard to say exactly what the future of Batwoman is going to be, but if she ties more into the Batman universe, I'm all for that. All right, the next thing to talk about is on December 20th, 
DC kind of uh, posted up an explanation about uh, Gothitopia as well mm-hmm. as the special Detective Comics 27. Now, we're actually going to review Detective Comics 27, so we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but they explained Gothitopia will be a three-issue story arc, which will explore a different version of Gotham City, where it is without crime. Surely Batman won't be too fond of this, since Batwing, Birds of Prey, and the Talon have become Gotham's true heroes. Uh, the story will also tie into Batwing, Catwoman, Birds of Prey, and Batgirl. Um, and be, this will be the last story arc from John Lehman and Jason Fabig. Um, now, what I have to say is interesting is that uh, back in October, DC announced that John Lehman and Jason Fabig were leaving the title and Francis Manipool and Brian Buccioletto were taking over the book starting in February. Mm-hmm. The Gothitopia, the first issue in the story arc, happens in the middle of Detective Comics 27, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But... That means that there's going to be two more issues that Lehman and Fabic are on before Manipool and Buccioletto come over onto Detective Comics. Now, I think that's odd because that's not how it was originally planned when the solicitation – right before the solicitations were announced for February, they announced the new creative team for Detective Comics. Then in turn, the solicitations actually stated that Manipool and Buccioletto were going to be on the book. And now when you go back, uh, when the solicitations in December released, I went back and I looked, and suddenly the solicitation seems to be updated for February, where they they are no longer on the book, and it's actually Lehman and Fabix. So I, I wonder what happened here. Uh, it, was, it was always odd when they said that this Gothitopia was going to happen, because when it was announced, it was right around the same time that it was announced that Lehman and Fabic were leaving the book. Um which was just odd timing altogether because they were basically going to be uh, they were going to be spearheading this 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 new crossover event mm-hmm. that did not involve Scott Snyder, which was the first event in the Bat books that did involve Scott Snyder, and then they were leaving within the, their last issue was going to be that, that same issue. So it's odd. I don't know why it was announced the way it was. Uh, honestly. Three issues means the solicitations that are released in January should be announcing the first issue for Manipool and Buccioletto, which means there's no reason they should have ever announced that they were going to be on the book in the first place up until right before the solicitations released. So are they still going to – they're still going to write it. It's just now it's going to be pushed back till after this Gothtopia? Yes. That's okay. that's basically what it is. Layman, yeah. because they're on three issues – uh, it's a three-issue story arc with mm-hmm. the Scothtopia, mm-hmm. which I'm sure was originally the plan from the beginning. I don't know how what the mix-up was, why yeah. it was announced. I don't I don't really understand it, but I think you know it does obviously seem like a a, a mix-up, and and I don't know if like it was correct originally, and then like they doubled back and decided to change their mind or whatever. But I think that this is a better play than I mean I'm looking forward to seeing these two guys come on the book, but I think um, Layman definitely deserves to finish out this story. And reading and detective, and I might be the only one who you know really enjoyed this batch of books, but um, I really liked just the start of this story, and I think to have another set of writers on it and really not. I mean, for to a certain extent, writers are going to be able to understand what is going to happen. But unless you're the actual creator of it, I don't think you can really complete it um, as it was originally intended. So I think that Layman does really deserve to, to finish this out. And so I'm happy that there was a mistake. That's like the first time and probably the only time that I will ever say that about DC Comics. 
All right, so that is actually all the news we have. Uh, as I mentioned, we have five books to cover, and afterwards we will be covering, we'll go through some of the reviews that were posted on the website for other books that we're not reviewing here. Um, so the first book we're going to jump into is Batman The Dark Knight, number 26. Batman The Dark Knight, number 26, Voiceless, part one. Writer Greg Hurwitz, artist Alberto Ponticelli and colors John Kalitz. And this is all, or I guess I can't say all, but it's a mainly silent tale and it's just really focusing on the abused and voiceless people of Gotham. So all this is really detailed in the picture, so I'll do the best I can to narrate through them. A protected border is shown with dilapidated buildings on one side and a a lot of uh, guards and, and things on the other side. A woman within a factory works on making angel figurines, obviously for Christmas, and she breaks one. And this may not have been her first offense, and she's actually let go. She goes home to terrible living conditions, a grandmother, a young child, and a baby. Now, the baby is obviously sick. And the woman goes to a pharmacy, but the pharmacist is on his way out. Uh, she offers him money, but he ends up just driving off. Uh, the mother go home, goes home, and, and the baby is then dead. At the funeral, a man offers a picture of Gotham to the mother, I guess to show that there's hope, and he could help her get to that. She crumples it up and walks away. And at home, now the other daughter is ill, probably just from malnutrition and bad uh, living conditions. The mother goes to her trash yard and finds a man who offers illegal passage across the border. The grandmother, mother, and little girl get aboard, but on the way they are hijacked by a group of masked men who pay off the driver and they take the girl and the grandmother, so perhaps the the weaker of the two that they could control easily. The two of them work at another factory, uh, again, making Christmas. This kind of makes me a little sad because... Am I buying Christmas things that are made by this kind of stuff here? Um, And it's known as a little elf factory. Like they even have labels inside the building. And they're under watch of armed men. The girl's health continues to deteriorate. Now the mother somehow makes her way into Gotham. Not really sure how. Meanwhile, the grandmother, recognizing that the little girl is in poor shape, tries to sneak out. She steps on a jingle bell. And as she's going down a fire escape, she gets stabbed. But she somehow just staggers off down the alley. And the man who actually stabbed her and and lost her somehow goes to Penguin to explain what happened. Penguin obviously thinks that the Batman is now going to come looking uh, after finding this grandmother. And he stabs the man with his umbrella. The grandmother, meanwhile, collapses. And Batman just happens to swoop over as she falls down and finds her dead with a picture of the mother and the girl. Now, the little girl back um, still is getting sicker. And she prays. And, uh, of course, she prays for an angel or Jesus to come help her. And then right in that little thought bubble of what she's praying for, Batman appears. And he takes the little girl to a hospital. He then returns and starts to take down the men in the factory. He gets the women and children out of there. But then a whole goon squad of men appear and attack Batman with with, um, nets and and all sorts of smoke bombs and things. And next we see Penguin at the Iceberg Lounge, and he's enjoying a a nice dinner uh, with champagne. And one of his goons whispers something to him, and he rejoices. He, He toasts his champagne because then we see Batman. He's in a cage. And there's a placard uh, on the cage that says Haley's Circus Lion Tamer, which I thought was a nice little detail. And next, we have Can the Bat Break His Chain? (laughs) 
Man, you know, just another sort of stab to the heart uh, that this book is going away because uh, I just thought this was great. And I believe the only other sort of silent issue we've had, I think, was a um, Batman and Robin issue, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. But how, how did you like this nearly word wordless story? And did you think it was easy to follow? You know, for the most part, I've never really, I've always really liked the idea of stories that can do, that can tell the entire story with just the art. Mm-hmm. I think those are really good stories. Um, for the most part, I, I wasn't lost in this one. Um, I don't think it was as executed as well as the Batman and Robin issue that happened mm-hmm. earlier this year. Um, but overall, I think that they did a really good job of of telling the story, and it'll be interesting to see if it carries on with the out the uh, the dialogue in the next issue as well. I agree. I think um, any comic should be able to tell a story without the words. And this one, I mean, for the most part, it did. I did struggle on the odd occasion, but I do like mm-hmm. Alberto Ponticelli's art. Um, I know him from he was doing Frankenstein before that got cancelled. Um, so I do like him, and I was, I was I've wanted to see him do Batman for a while. So it was a nice opportunity to see that, but. I don't really understand the need for it to be a silent issue. It kind of felt mm-hmm. a bit. I'm not. I'm not sure. Kind of like doing it just because there, there didn't seem to be any sort of meaning or purpose to it. But I, I enjoyed it nonetheless. Do you think? Um, and this is kind of going off of what Joe said. Do you think it's just more like symbolism uh, that these are the people that you don't? I mean, it was titled "Voiceless," right? Just this this group of people that. Um, Obviously, they're in terrible living conditions, and they don't have as many rights, and, and here we are. And even, you know, I did have the odd occasion, just like Joe did, uh, difficult to follow, but I also thought, you know, this works because this could potentially be a, a foreign person. We, we saw the pharmacy was, um, well, I don't want to try to pronounce it, but it was a foreign word for pharmacy there. And, you know, just a way like, well, there is obviously this language barrier, so perhaps we're really getting in there. But do you think it was too much in your face that this is the silent group of people that we, we don't know about and, and they do have these terrible conditions? Or was there something more with the, the silent way of narrating? I, I don't know. Sometimes my immediate thought, which is it's not a very kind thought, but my immediate thought is that the writer didn't have the time to do a lot of work, so they make this issue that r- relies heavily on the artist to do a really good job. They still have to write a script, obviously, to mm-hmm. explain what's yeah. going on, but there's not a lot of dialogue, so they don't have to really think about that. So sometimes I feel as if that might actually be an easier thing to do than than writing a normal script but then knowing that you know you're normally writing these these scripts and the dialogue and you're being able to tell the story it actually i I had to think about it more and think Mm -hmm. to myself you know maybe it is a little bit harder to do this because you can't just rely on the dialogue or the Mm -hmm. narration to explain what's going on you really have to be you know explain to the artist this is what needs to be shown in the each panel to tell the story that's going to eventually tell the overall story since there is no dialogue or narration Mm -hmm. so i think that it, it it partially has to do with the fact that I'm sure the point was because it's named voiceless because these are the the people that really don't have a voice the, you know the, they are 
the people who are at the bottom rung of the ladder, you yeah. know, there is nobody there to really speak for them, mm-hmm. to be there for them. They have to just, they have to, you know, do, they have to live in these terrible conditions. They have to, you know, lose their family members because of terrible situations. They have to, you know, work these terrible jobs because they just don't have anybody to speak for them because they are voiceless. Uh, my next question is really going off of this, but what do you think about the, the theme of, uh, of the issue, just illegals and their the lack of freedom, especially in a Batman book. Um, obviously, my history isn't as well versed as either of you with Batman. I, I feel like this is the first time I've ever encountered such a subject matter in a Batman book. Uh, do you think it's too far, like away from something that Batman would be dealing with, and, and that's why we brought it in? Do you think it it works well? I think it's fine uh, for the most part. It isn't something we've seen that that often, um, but. I think that it's it's something that would occur. Gotham City, I don't think, would have a huge immigration problem mm-hmm. as much as you know cities in Texas or other DC cities that are much closest to the border. So that's a little bit far fetched. I'm not sure why they're all brought to Gotham, other than this odd connection to Penguin, which yeah. you know Penguin has connected everything and anything. But, you betcha. But for the most part, I think that you know. It's it's something that I think is okay for Batman to deal with because it does happen. Even if it is, you know, I'm sure there's immigration issues in New York City, which would be comparable to Gotham City, so that it's entirely possible for that kind of stuff to happen. Yeah, definitely. I, I think going off of what Dustin was about the symbolism of the the voicelessness um, is interesting, and I think that it kind of works. I think Batman, as has been said many times, is someone that can work with anything and with any theme and dealing with any subject matter. So. I, I do think it works. My final question was just the timing and incorporation of Christmas, because even though it only popped up in a couple scenes, you know, we do have Christmas being brought in there. And then did that just, I don't know, I guess maybe there's not so much of a question in there, but do you think that was like forcing, let's, let's put some, some tie to Christmas and make it um, show people that it's not as jolly a holiday for everyone? Or do you think it had an impact at all on your reading of the issue or the issue in general? You know, I, when this released, uh, I didn't read it right away. Um, I read it shortly after. And when it was released, I, you know, the Christmas elements, I had to think about it and think to myself, Oh wait, this was supposed to actually release the week of Christmas. Because DC held their books the week of Christmas and ended up releasing them the following week, it was a little late for Christmas references. But I think, for the most part, it it just ended up being what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you know, the, you know, I, I honestly don't think that DC is telling their writers, "Hey, listen, you got to try to link it to Christmas," or you know, it's winter months, so throw some snow in the books. I don't think they're doing that. I think honestly, it's, sometimes it's the writers who, who you know who want to tie to the current season does it really make a difference no it doesn't really affect my way or my my like or dislike of the book any more or less than if it was there or not all right so batman the dark knight number 26 i'm going to give a total of four out of five bad ranks i will give the dark knight a total of three and a half out of five batterings and I'm going to up Dustin a little bit. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 batterings. And over on the website, Adam gave it 5 out of 5 batterings. So that's going to give Batman the Dark Knight a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, Forever Evil, Arkham War, number 4. What are you? I've got some reckoning. 
it and the borrowed time you've all been living on. Pure, pure evil. I'm necessary evil. Forever Evil Arkham War number four, written by Peter J. Tomossi, with art by Scott Eaton. The issue begins with Bane reviving his one remaining talon, William Cobb. After, after initial mistrust, Cobb agrees to join Bat Bane to free the other talents from Scarecrow. Meanwhile, the inmates of Arkham Asylum are engaging in a war between the police, Blackgate, and even amongst themselves. It's not long, however, until Cobb shows up and begins taking them all out one by one. Bane shows up shortly after that, who grabs Mr. Zars and leaves the battle. We cut to a boy with a loaf of bread running to safety when he is stopped by a man with a gun, attempting to steal the food. Just in time, for the boy at least, Batbane and Talon show up and, and kill the aggressor, telling the boy and his mother to go to Bane Tower, where they will be safe, looked after, and trained to defend themselves. We cut to Gotham Rooftop, where Bane is torturing Zars into giving him Scarecrow's location, before we cut to him, in Gotham sewers, where he and Mr. Freeze are reviving the army of Talons. The issue ends with several Talons heading out to kill Bane. Um, the first thing is perhaps a minor point, just, I wondered why they used Mr. Zars as the person to get tortured, because my understanding is Mr. Zars is a person who has no feelings towards life and just sees it as pointless. So, like, I guess they kind of said, they mentioned, you know, he was in pain. So, but just, it seemed odd that out of all the people they could have chosen to pick him as the person to torture for information. It is, it is a little odd. I'm not real sure, other than... The only thing that I kind of saw in that was the fact that they made a mention to what's what happened with Nightwing mm-hmm. and the fact that Nightwing brought him back from Chicago and he was doing fine in Chicago. They made mention of that. Uh, we know that that's going to take place in, uh, I believe it's like two months from now in Nightwing, right before Forever Evil ends, um, or right as Forever Evil's ending, the story of Nightwing coming back to Gotham to bring Mr. Zaz back and how it leads into the events of Forever Evil is going to be told in the pages of Nightwing. So I'm wondering if maybe that's just the reason of they were throwing it out there to kind of pique your interest for that upcoming issue as well as kind of explain why Nightwing could be involved in all of this stuff with Forever Evil since it really hasn't been addressed. Yeah, I, I don't know if like they went as far uh, so far as to think about like... <laughs> All of that, because that's that's well thought out, Joe. Just the fact that, yeah, indeed, he has really no concern for that. But I, I think maybe they saw it more as like we're really gonna throw the kitchen sink in there and bring as many villains in as possible. And so he was one that that uh, got chosen there because our other fan favorite, uh, Ventroquist, was she popped up in this issue too. So yeah, my second thing was um, why would ta- the talents listen to Scarecrow or Bane? I mean, I can yeah. kind of understand Cobb teaming up with Bane just as a kind of one-on-one, and there seemed to be some kind of mutual respect. But at the end, when it looks like all of the other talents just kind of straight away do what Scarecrow says, and I was kind of wondering if there was what you saw happening with that, if you maybe saw all the talents kind of teaming up once again as a kind of unstoppable force to take down all the scum in Gotham or, or what you kind of could see happening. So my understanding of that was I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping to the page because I, I want to remember for sure. But I want to say that uh, there was a point where Scarecrow and Mr. Freeze were talking to each other about uh, – it was uh, – let's see. There was a point – yeah, here it is. Uh, there was a point where 
that Mr. Freeze is talking to Scarecrow and he says, with your fear gas piped in at a at periodic intervals, as well as Mad Hatter's mind control tech grafted into the, each of the town's helmets, we've got a small army of superpowered soldiers. So it mm-hmm. kind of explains why they would be listening to them. Uh, yeah. uh, the, okay. the William Cobb uh, attached to Bane, that makes perfect sense because William Cobb, even when even during the Court of Owls, was always portrayed as this character that was all about you know ridding Gotham of this horrible stuff. And then the fact that Bane actually says that he has no problem giving the court the city back once he's done ridding them, ridding the city of all of these costume freaks, um, it, it just plays into the way Cobb was written before as far as him being all about the mission that the Court of Owls stands for. Mm-hmm. Do you think they would drop him? Do you think Cobb would drop him really quickly, though, if like the court just all of a sudden appeared and said, you need to be done with this. Would he just like weave Bane and his mission and come over to them? I think that's a little debatable. Um, I think honestly, Cobb's alliance is always going to be with the court. Mm -hmm. Um, I can, I can see, I almost feel like he would probably, he would probably go back to the court, but he'd probably sit there and plead the case that of what Bane's doing, because it probably ultimately is helping the goals of the court more so than anything else they've done um, because because of what he's doing and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to basically turn Gotham back or take back, take back Gotham from all of these costume criminals. I think that the whole idea is that, you know, for the most part, ever since Batman showed up and all of these costume criminals showed up as well, the courts really not had a whole lot of hold on Gotham as much as they'd like to have. The only one I struggle with a little bit is Cobb and Bane, um, just because I feel like he would still sort of question that, uh, you know, Bane telling him what to do. But the other one, I think, really works well, just with the scientific reasoning that that is given. All right, so Forever Evil, Arkham War number four, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five bad ranks. I agree, two and a half out of five batterings. And I'm going to make it a third and say two and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Forever Evil Arkham War number four a total of two and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to move us into our next book, which is Detective Comics number 27. Uh, This is the special mega-sized anniversary issue written by a number of different uh, writers and a number of different artists are featured in it. Uh, We're going to go through each story individually, and I'll tell you who wrote each one. Uh, So the first story, which is entitled The Case of the Chemical Syndicate, written by Brad Meltzer or by Brian Hitch. The issue starts off with uh, Bruce Wayne holding a fundraiser, which appears to be for the Gotham Police Department. Um, the police department, we find out that Bruce bugged the police department's car cars so that he could find out what's going on. This is clearly happening er- very early in the career of Batman, as uh, Alfred even has uh, no gray hair and he doesn't seem to be balding nearly as, nearly at all. Uh, we find out there's a murder that take it, that's taken place. It turns out uh, the uh, person who is murdered ends up being one of the partner's at Ace Chemicals, another one of the partners was also recently killed, and uh, Batman decides he needs to head towards Ace Chemicals. At Ace Chemicals, there is two of the other partners are also at Ace Chemicals, and uh, we find out that one of them, who happens to be wearing a purple suit, uh, is eliminating his partners because they he found out that they were trying to vote him out of the company. 
Um, he throws the last partner into an aerosol chamber uh, that will essentially kill anybody who breathes it in. Batman bursts through the skylight, uh, gets into the, the, the chamber right before it's closed. Uh, Batman then plugs up the exhaust that's uh, or the, the pipe that's pumping in the chemicals, gives the uh, air mask that he the only air mask that he has to the uh, member who's tied up to a chair inside. Batman then tries to get or break the glass so that he can get out, but he's not having a whole lot of luck. Uh, he then tells himself that he he's cursing Alfred for being right about carrying a glass cutter because he doesn't have one. Uh, we then see him use a batarang to basically make some cracks so that he can burst out. Um, as he gets out of the chamber and opens it up for the other guy to escape, he goes after the last member who happens to get a batarang to the back of his neck, uh, the Commissioner Gordon, well, I guess it's James Gordon at this point. James Gordon and another member of the GCPD um, are there and explain that they both need to put their hands up, including Batman. Um, Batman goes after the person with the gun because, or the, the other, the criminal, uh, or the other partner, I guess, who was trying to kill his other, his, his, his partner as well. He pulls out a gun. Batman goes after him to stop him from shooting at the police, kicks him in the face, and he ends up falling into a giant chemical of some sort, or a giant vat of chemicals. We then see Batman escape as James Gordon uh, says he tried to save my life. Um, and then we see at the very bottom police line, do not cross in front of the vat. And we see a hand emerge from the vat of chemicals. Um, that is that specific story then uh we get a nice little uh a nice little shot of of the bat family uh by pat gleason uh featuring batman bat mite the original batwoman mm -hmm. uh riddler and penguin and then we cut to a story called old school which features the story by greg hurwitz art by neil adams this issue starts off in a, in a very different type uh this is basically in the the it appears as if it's the format of the way comics were written back in the uh, 40s and 50s with very defined panels, uh, very specific colors. Um, it, it, it basically looks like a comic that was pulled straight out of the 40s or 50s. Uh, after we see Batman talking about uh, some robbers that got away from a house of uh, from a carnival or a circus that was in town, Batman and Robin uh, try to go after them, but they get away. Uh, we are there's a number of different references to just things that were very common in the 40s and 50s uh, dealing with Batman, such as the camera embedded in Batman's belt that's able to take pictures of everything that he sees so that he doesn't have to remember things such as a license plate. We then see uh, the police officer going after Batman because of some damage, but then uh, the the uh, the man who's accusing Batman of the damage realizes that maybe this is a bad idea because he was trying to help them. We then go back to the back cave where again, uh, a lot of different references to things from the older comics. Um, at some point, Batman decides to rip off his costume that he's wearing from the early days of his career to the more 70s style, yeah. uh, Batman that Neil Adams was known for. Mm -hmm. Um, he decides to rip off his costume and he gets a little bit more, aggressive i wouldn't say violent but a little bit more aggressive a little bit more action oriented a lot less um talking about some of the 
the the smaller puns and things like that that happened in the first half of the story. Uh, we then see Batman and Robin chasing Penguin. Penguin takes off after or off a rock takes off in a rocket as the penguin robots are trying to attack Batman and Robin. Turns out the uh, rocket, as it was blasting off, melts the costumes off of Robin and Batman, and now they're in even uh, more of their 80s costumes. And Robin even, it's, it's kind of a mix between the 80s and early 90s, um, minus the, uh, the, the, the tights instead of the pants. Uh, we then see Scarecrow approach and shoot uh, Batman with some fear gas. Batman uh, has a has basically a, an odd uh, hallucination where he gets to a comic shop that says Dark Knight Comics, but it turns into the Mark of Zorro, the theater. He re- witnesses his parents' death yet again. Um, he's trying to, you know, come to terms with it when suddenly he walks into the shop. The comic shop and it turns out all of his villains are there he's starting to freak out a little but as he's freaking out um he realizes that he's actually in a real comic shop and it turns out that he's at a happy 75th anniversary of batman party at the comic shop where there's a number of people cosplaying as various characters from the batman universe uh people are uh, the joker uh, the the store clerk is dressed as the joker mm-hmm. handing out just so happens to be a batman black and white statue based off of the art of neil adams to a boy um and batman says uh he's handed a copy of detective comics 27 which happens to not be protected in any way shape or form <laughs> you would pick that out oh man and uh he says uh i wonder if i wonder do they have any idea what i've been through um the end uh next we cut to a- another piece of art this time by jacques then uh, we move into the next story, which is called which is called Better Days, written by Peter Tomasi, art by Ian Bertram. Uh, Batman or, or Bruce Wayne, I should say, is much older. He's watching the Mark of Zorro on his TV set upstairs. He decides to walk down into the Batcave, where we find out that Bruce Wayne is actually turning 75 years old, and various members of the Bat family, including Damien as the current Batman, Nightwing, missing one of his teeth. Uh, Tim Drake as Red Robin, who is graying hair, and Barbara Gordon as the commissioner, as kind of like a mix between yeah. uh, the way she appeared in the way she appeared in uh, Bat- yeah, Batman Beyond, and yeah. a mix of the way people look in the future in Batman: The Dark Knight Returns, and Alfred, very very uh, old and confined to a wheelchair because of his age. Um, they come down to celebrate his birthday. Uh, Bruce blows out the candles. Um, the two of them explain that they t- they all talk about how they're all helping certain certain ways. Barbara's helping the way that she is by being the commissioner. When all of a sudden the bat signal goes off, they all decide to take off as quickly as possible. Batman wraps a blanket around Alfred and decides that he's going to go back out f- just for the night to celebrate for his birthday. Um, over a nice splash page of criminals being put into a various different shapes throughout the panels to create the bat symbol using the bodies of all of these criminals that Batman's going up against. Um, he goes back to the Batcave and uh, everyone returns to the Batcave to continue to celebrate the birthday when everyone's talking about how all these there is a record number of criminals that were 
brought in uh, that night, and because of that, um, a lot of people are talking that Batman's back, and he says, well, don't look at me because I'm too old to be running around Gotham anymore, especially in the dark. All right, so that's the end of that story. Next up, we have Rain by uh, story and art by Francis Francesco Francovella. Uh, this is the this has the Batmobile driving through Gotham City when he sees a car that has slid off the road during a storm and crashed. Um, he goes and he helps the boy and the girl or the boy and the mom out of the car. Uh, some lightning strikes the car and it causes a large explosion. Batman saves them and uh, he says, "Wait here while I call for help." He goes off, and uh, the boy says, was that the Batman? And uh, the pers- the mom responds, yes, Junior. God bless him, as it's revealed that it was actually James Junior. All right, then we cut to another piece of art, this time by Kelly Jones, um, mm-hmm. my favorite artist. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Uh, we then cut to the next story, The Sacrifice, written by Mike Barr, art by Gillian March, where the Phantom Stranger basically gives Batman a, a, glimpse, a glimpse as to what would happen if his parents didn't die that day um it turns out that his parents would be alive and well he'd be married to none other than natalia uh the uh character from the dark knight batman the dark knight a couple months back who was killed uh he has a son who for some reason is called thomas jr instead of thomas or instead of bruce jr not sure but uh um then what ends up happening is uh, Bruce looks outside only to find out that everything that everything that Gotham was when he was Batman is still still is. There's gangs fighting uh, on behalf of the Joker and on behalf of the, the Scarecrow. And uh, his father tells him, you know, this is just the way it is. Uh, Commissioner Gordon was was great, but then they captured him and made him a quadri- quadriplegic. And uh, all Ra's al Ghul has basically taken over Europe. Uh, because of there's no one to stop him. Uh, Richard Grayson, there's a news report on TV that Richard Grayson is convicted of murder of Tony Zuko because uh, of whatever, and he's been moved to death row. Um, So eventually what happens is uh, Bruce realizes that despite the fact that um, his parents didn't die, um, sometimes a sacrifice is very necessary. And, that is the end of that story. Uh, it's also important to note that that story says that it's for the memory of Bill Finger and the promise of the next 75 years. Uh, next, we have another art piece by Graham Nolan. Uh, this one featuring a number of the different artists, uh, a number of the different villains from different eras. We then cut to the next story, which is the story for the issue. Gothotopia issue, or the story that uh, kicks off the Gothotopia story arc. We have Poison Ivy walking through Gotham City, explaining that uh, basically the city is going to become ruins because of everything, because the people don't care what's going on in the city. Poison Ivy is then approached by Batman in a white suit and Catbird, which seems to be Catwoman in a Robin suit. Uh, we then see uh, Catbird and, and White Batman take down Poison Ivy very easily. Easily, uh, not before Poison Ivy tries to sneak a kiss in on on Batman, but uh, Catbird takes that and says, "No, that job's taken." Um, and uh, that's not happening. Batman stops Catbird from being too violent, and uh, they decide that. Uh, to, to have a nice little kiss in the middle of the street. They then take off on their motorcycles. We then see a montage of some of the th- different things that they deal with nowadays. Very little criminals, a lot more 
uh, emergency type situations where they help with burning buildings, they help with car accidents, they help with various different things. And then, of course, they also have time to stand and get honored by the mayor of Gotham City, which happens to be Oswald Cobblepot. Um, it's also interesting to note that uh, Batgirl is now Bluebell and Brightbat is now or Batwoman is now Brightbat, mm-hmm. um, and they are they stand side by side Batman now. Why exactly there's three females and no f- male sidekicks, I have no idea. But those of you who think that there's not enough females, this is the story, I guess, for you. We then <laughs> see Batman being told by Harvey Bullock that there's a person who's trying to commit suicide on a building. He tries to go save him, but uh, in turn, he does save him, but he ends up pulling a police car- uh, policeman's weapon out and shooting himself in the head. Uh, Batman then goes back to the Batcave to talk with uh, the busty Catbird, who is proceeding to talk about uh, a lot of the suicides that have been happening all over Gotham City. And it's odd because there's all there's no rhyme or reason. There's no pattern. The economy is good. Their unemployment's really low. Uh, crime is really low in Gotham City. But suicides are 15 times higher than the national average. We then see Selena Kyle or Selena or whatever her name is in this cat bird uh, getting real cl- up up close and personal with Bruce where an Alfred approaches and says, listen, there's there's something going on. Uh, Bruce excuses himself to go out to a garden because I guess he can walk around in his bat suit in his, in his own garden. And he realizes that he got pricked by something. Um, he then starts to see a number of different hallucinations, gets very angry, goes back down to the Batcave, tells Alfred that he needs uh, he needs him to analyze this thorn that he got pricked with. Um, and then he he leaves to go to search through Gotham to try to remember how exactly everything changed. Uh, we then see a number of different scenes kind of, he he changes from the white suit into the black suit just through one panel. Uh, we then hear that Alfred's got the analyzation done. And having Alfred analyze the thorn as much as he was his own blood, where Batman is realizing that there's something wrong with his blood. Uh, we then see Catbird approach Batman, who's in his darker suit, and she says, "Listen, you seem disturbed. Something's wrong." Uh, Batman's trying to explain, listen, there's something different. This world is some other reality. It's not the real. It's an hallucination. Catbird says, no, you're wrong. When all of a sudden, not only Catbird, Blue Bell, and Bright Bat all appear, as well as uh, Flying Fox, which is the Gothitopia version of Batwing, and the Gothamite, which is the Talon version, or the Gothitopia version of Talon, uh, the also the wings of truth appear, which is the birds of prey of Gothitopia. They all appear, and it looks like they have surrounded Batman, yep. and they're ready to fight. As they start taking out Batman, Batman has no choice but to basically lose the battle, but uh, try to win the war. Uh, he then gets taken to the Center for Health and Wellness, which I assume is Gothitopia's version of Arkham Asylum, where he's supposedly supposed to be treated by Scarecrow. And uh, as he's brought back into a room... Uh, he's, it's revealed that a number of the villains, including Killer Croc, Mr. Freeze, Scarecrow, uh, Mr. Pig, um, and Harley Quinn are all standing in the room. Um, although the Gothitopia version of the panel shows them all in doctor suits or an orderly suit as far as Waylon Jones goes. But, uh, Batman is seeing them as the villains that they actually are. Uh, next, institutionalized, and that would be in the pages of Detective Comics number 28 coming out next month. 
All right, then we cut to a uh, another art picture, art this time done by Mike Aldred. We then cut to our final story, which is written by Scott Snyder and art by Sean Murphy. It's called 27. Uh, this issue starts off with uh, Bruce sitting in a chair where he learns, he says those uh, faithful lines, yes, father, I shall become a bat, when uh, he, re- he wakes up and he realizes that uh, he, in fact, is in a completely different world and he doesn't really know what's going on. Turns out he's in the Batcave, but this Batcave is many, many, many years into the future. Uh, we find out that this person, Bruce, that was hooked up to the machine is Bruce Wayne, but also the other man is also Bruce Wayne. As it turns out, uh, Bruce Wayne, way back when, tried to be Batman as long as he could, but eventually he realized that he, it was no longer an option to continue to be Batman and still be still be a reliable force to be reckoned with. So what he decided was he decided that uh, he would then create what I, I don't know if it was actually stated as this, but it seems as if he's creating clones of himself and uh, the clones of himself would be only be, they would only be able to be maximized to their fullest potential until the age 27. So there has been a number of different versions of the character uh, of himself. Um, and basically the older Bruce Wayne, the older clone explains, listen, you have to choose what you're going to do. There's many, there's been many before you, but uh, you have, you'll have to find it. You'll have to find out everything on your own because that's how it works. Um, the, the younger Bruce Wayne clone then asks if in fact, uh, he can, he can leave and he says, yes, you can. But if I was you, I'd go fast as he's trying to, as he climbs up the ladder to leave, all of a sudden an alert comes in saying that there's a backup needed downtown. And, uh, he approaches the map and we find out that in fact, this is never the end. And then that is the end of the issue. Lots of lots of lots of stuff happening in this issue, but the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that, despite the fact that there was so much happening in this mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. there was some stuff that was missing from the issue. Um, the The issue was originally solicited as a ninety six page issue. I don't know the actual page count uh, from the printed copy because the digital copy that I have does not have ninety six pages because the splash pages don't aren't numbered that way but the the interesting thing that i found was that there was a story that was solicited for by paul dini uh, art by dustin when neither one of them were featured in the issue at all um i want to say at some point now i look back at the solicitation and it didn't actually say this but i don't know when i heard this or where i heard this i want to say it was a dc all access when they were talking about Detective Comics 27, Dan DiDio said something about the fact that they were really excited because Frank Miller was going to be doing something for the issue. I didn't realize that what he was referring to was just this special uh, gatefold, well not gatefold, but this this front and back side cover for the issue. Um, so that, The that, Catwoman Yeah, one? The, the Catwoman cover was okay. by Frank Miller, but to me, I don't really see a cover as something where we should really be like thrilled yeah. because Frank Miller is coming back to do something related to Batman to Batman because really there's tons of people who do covers for books and tons of tons of artists that do variant covers that actually have never really worked on Batman in the past so a variant cover or a one of the multiple covers that was for this title I have a hard time thinking that that was the original intent 
Um, so all I want to say is, did you did you feel as if I don't want to talk about the actual stories yet. I want to talk about the actual structure. Do you feel like mm-hmm. it, it moved well? Do you feel like you felt fulfilled by what it was? Um, were you kind of, were you let down in any way by what there was as far as the the amount of uh, the amount of material that was in it? Anything like that? Uh, no, not at all. I I thought you know in one word that this was amazing. I actually really liked this through and through, and I've really been one of those people that's harped on the fact of you know you're giving us an annual. I know this is an annual. I'll get to my point, but you know you're giving us an annual. But what's special about this story? For the most part, these annuals that we've read have really been stinky, and this is an anniversary issue and a really big one. Um, and and I think they really. They do an awesome job. I thought that they were great stories. They were really creative. And I loved that there was a piece of artwork between each of the stories. And, and you know, that that wasn't a jumble for me at all. They were really unique pieces of art. And I really loved the calendar one. I loved all of them. But there were just some awesome, unique moments. There was nothing lost for me. I think all the stories were you could really take them, you know, separately. And it wasn't confusing to go one from another and, and just really a fulfilling full-sized issue i'm i'm only sad that uh we got gypped on the final 11 pages and i just wonder uh what stories or perhaps what art uh was lost to us the thing that i had which i i will say at this point we we've, we've actually lost joe we've have been having some problems with joe on the recording since the very beginning and we've actually completely lost him um, we, we, <laughs> so sad. We, we do have his ratings for the final three books that we're covering here, and we do have his his uh, recap of uh, Batman and Robin. But uh, it'll now just be Stella and I discussing this, so you don't try to figure out what happened to Joe. Um, but basically, the big thing is this: this issue cost seven ninety nine. Um, I thought it was actually going to be ten dollars originally, which may explain why we didn't get those other pages. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interesting thing is the page count still on DC's website says that it was supposed to be 96 pages. It, it may be 96 pages, but, uh, I, I don't know. It, I, I don't think that I'm not disappointed by what was included. I'm not disappointed by anything like that at all. What I am disappointed in is the fact that, again, this is another book that they solicited as a specific thing. Mm-hmm. We didn't really get that. Um, you know, the the solicitation reads, Don't miss a modern modern day retelling of the Dark Knight's origin by the incredible team of Brad Meltzer and the artist of Brian Hitch. Well, the story by Brad Meltzer wasn't an origin story for Batman at all. There was nothing in Brad Meltzer's story. There was the crime syndicate story that was more of an origin story for the Joker. There was nothing related to the origin story of Batman by Mad by Brad Meltzer in that book. So that I mean, I'm not disappointed by what was in the book. I we'll get to the stories in a second, but it just seems like DC keeps shooting themselves in the foot with these solicitations. They release saying one thing and putting out something out else. Uh, in the solicitation, it says that there's a story with Paul Dini and Dustin Wen. That didn't happen. Um, it says new art by legendary Batman writer artist Frank Miller, and the art consisted of a cover. I already talked about that, but I mean, like, mm-hmm. it just comes down to I just don't understand why they do this, where they tell they say it's going to be one thing and they do something else. It, to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, 
But I'll leave it at that. Let's get into the stories themselves, though, because like I said, I didn't really have any problems with the stories themselves. So let's get into the actual stories, because like I said, the stories themselves, I had no real problems with. The first one, uh, Case of the Chemical Syndicate, uh, you know, for the most part, I, I thought the, the art was good. I didn't have any issues with the art. Um, I, this is the type of art that I kind of like. It's, you know, not extremely detailed, but it's detailed enough. Uh, you know, there was that scene. There was a scene in the apartment of the person who gets killed, and there's a brick fireplace, and the bricks are all there instead of just having a flat surface with a fireplace. So, I mean, like, there was enough detail. The, the There was a nice shot of the Ace Chemicals with the... Uh, rail, uh, the train driving by, the elevated train driving by. So, I mean, there's plenty of detail in this. It wasn't over the top. I didn't really have any problems with any of the faces in, in any of it. The story itself, even though DC said it was going to be um, specifically related to the origin of the Dark Knight, and it had more to do with this, the uh, origin of the Joker, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, the only thing is, I'm not real sure what the necessity for this was. Um, dealing with this person, um, become you know this person who's becoming the Joker. Um, you know, it's not necessarily said that this is going to be the Joker, but this is definitely a very similar situation with the person getting thrown into the vat of chemicals mm-hmm. and then becoming them. So, uh, just talking about this specific story, any any uh, concerns or compliments for this one? Uh, no concerns. I, uh, I do wonder at the bottom or at the very end, it says based on the original story by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, I myself have not read the original story. I wonder how it would compare uh, to this and, and just if it, how, how true it stays. What I loved about this, um, you know, I think that you could have done this with any story uh, in the beginning of Batman's career. I think the heart of this is with the narration. And I, throughout the entire story, except for the very end, and the very end was like this sort of like, <gasps> bum, bum, bum. I couldn't figure out, like, is this Batman talking or is this you know, the Joker, this obvious, like, bad guy in the purple suit, is this, because it could go either way, I mean, he even admits to saying that, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little insane, I admit that I do it for the thrills, like, all of this is, is very, you can read it two ways, and then all of a sudden, at the end, it says, you know, end of first entry for the Batman, and I just thought that, you know, you could have thrown that on any story, but that was really what made it for me. Just trying to figure out who is this and really getting to the heart of who Batman was really early on and, and even him admitting that he's got these flaws. And, you know, yeah, I am a little insane and everything. And, and that's what I really liked about this story. Moving to the next story, which was the Neil Adams and Greg Hurwitz story. Um, so, again... You know, we the, the the only thing that I had about this one was I, I thought it was kinda cool seeing Batman transition from different the different time periods and how the the stories themselves as time progressed, um the the costumes changed, their suits changed, and we kind of even at some point we got a different art style uh from the way it was in the beginning to when he gets sprayed with the fear gas was changed to a, a little bit more of a modern art style with mm-hmm. everything. And then even the last page where they're in the comic shop, we see a lot of Photoshopped images all over the place <laughs> into the actual art itself. Um, for the most part, you know, I don't think the story was bad. I, it, I, you know, it, it's kind of out there. It's not something I would expect from Greg Hurwitz. 
uh, it's definitely something that I would sit there and say, oh yeah, this is definitely Neil Adams. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a little out there. And uh, the the art and the overabundance of the villains involved and things like that reminded me so much of Batman Odyssey. It was kind of weird. But, uh, and the peeling costumes and the melting yeah. costumes, it, it reminded me a lot of the Neil Adams stuff that we, if we've seen recently with uh, Batman Odyssey, but this isn't something that I would normally peg Greg Hurwitz to do. So, um, overall, I mean, it wasn't bad. Um, it was definitely an interesting little twist at the end. Um, but again, it the narration is probably the... The, which is there's not very much the narration that towards the end of the story after he walks into the comic shop that's really the the, the best part of the story for me mm-hmm. uh of course your main complaint i think would be that detective comics 27 wasn't bagged and boarded or had to have a a rating on <laughs> i think that would be your big complaint there yeah, well, you know, this thing is, with uh, my collection not having a copy of Detective Comics 27, I have a hard time believing that a uh, comic shop owner, regardless of who it is, which I don't know who exactly that is, I feel as if that person who is holding the copy of Detective Comics 27 should be somebody from Batman's past. I, I don't, it doesn't look specifically like Bob Kane, yeah. although the hair towards the end of Bob Kane's life kind of looks like that, but... I don't think that's Bob Kane, so. I, but I almost feel like it is modeled after somebody. I just I don't know who it is. Um, so so that uh, that being said, um, Detective Comics twenty seven just being handed. Yes, Batman might be wearing gloves, but Batman's gloves get dirty. Come on now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I I thought you know this was a really creative. Um issue i i think that's definitely our story that's definitely what you can say i loved how they really followed the style of the different eras uh you know down to the way they were coloring the panel with you know that that sort of moray pattern in the background uh you know the little dots and everything and and the speech and everything uh, i thought it was a little weird this this business of the villains getting the upper hand, like how do they know all of this? And then him changing out of his suit, but I kind of still went around with it. Really, what lost me was the rocket ship. Like that's when it started in this melting business, and then I, I it it just it, it went down from there. But once you realize it's a dream, I think you can kind of be like, oh, okay, I get it. But but I just love the I, I I just thought it was you know it was creative. But I do understand it does sort of get a little wacky, and I did also get the sense of sort of a Batman Odyssey feel with it. All right. The the next story, um, which was the story uh, of Bruce Wayne being 75 years old, written by Peter Tomasi, art by Ian Bertram. Um, it was kind of interesting. This this art style is is the it's very reminiscent to Chris Burnham, but with much yeah. much more uh, mm-hmm. much more pencils. Um, yeah. and inking there's there's all Intense. yeah i mean it's it's kind of nuts how much yeah. how much is there um it almost feels like it's one of those pictures where if you hold it up real close to your eyes you'll see something else <laughs> true um but you know i don't have a lot to say about this issue it was nice uh bruce wayne 75 years old to, to celebrate his birthday decides to go fight crime I mean, it's perfect. That's that's what that's what would be expected with uh, with mm-hmm. Batman. You know, that's that's yeah. what's going to make him happy. So that's what he does. Uh, the splash page that of all the criminals and all of the the things that Batman's taking out, 
being, you know, basically the panels creating the bat symbol. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, you know, I, I, you know, this might not be my cup of tea as far as the art goes, but I think it was done well. Um, mm-hmm. And the story is just nice to see, you know, kind of what could possibly happen with some of these characters in the future. Um, I will say that for whatever reason, Damien, who is significantly younger than Tim Drake and Dick Grayson, looks older than both of them. Tim Drake looks like a little boy uh, with with gray gray hair. Yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's nice to see that, you know, despite all of the problems, we see the Bat family coming together, even if this was 30 years, 40 years after the, the events of Death of the Family. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Tim Drake still being in a Red Robin costume uh, and still being Red Robin? Blasphemy. Yeah, I also felt like he would have at least graduated to something else and, and sort of moved on from that. Um, I don't know if it'd be Robin or, or something, but I, I just I guess I can't see him being... 50 plus years old and which I guess he's got to be in his 60s now um, and <laughs> running around in a red robin costume yeah the art I think insane is just like the way to I, I thought it was amazing but it's just like all these little like pencil strokes to add the detail and it's just like I, I don't know how that guy did not go blind uh, I, I feel like it's also awesome because I got a lot of sense of the Dark Knight storyline, um, just like, you know, when he, he he took off his shirt and he was ready to go to work, you, you know, you saw how he was and, and all beat up and everything. Uh, the, the splash page that you like so much, Dustin, you see one of those visors uh, that the mutants wore and everything, yeah. but you don't see a mutant, so I think just sort of obliquely referencing that. But, uh, you know, what was great about this is even though you, you get to see Batman and, and the heart of Batman, it was a fun story, and it wasn't a dark story. It was actually one that you could enjoy and be like, yeah, that was good. And I'm not sure about Alfred still being alive at this point because this guy's got to be like 90-plus now. But I guess it's it's better than thinking of the alternative. So it's nice to have them all around each other. All right. And then the next story, the story by Francis Francavella, uh, Francisco Francavella, with uh, basically the story of uh, Batman mm-hmm. saving James Jr. for the second time. Um, as pointed out a little bit earlier, this is basically the second time because of the events that happened with uh, – James Jr. with the bridge and Batman saving him at that point. Um, It's kind of interesting because, again, well, I mean, nobody draws a creepier James Jr. than Francisco Francovella. I mean, there's just, regardless of whether he's 10 years old, he's 5 years old, he's 15, 20, whatever, he looks creepy (laughs) no matter what as Uh long as Francovella is drawing him. So don't have a lot to say about this issue. The art was great. I mean, that's what this was. It was a feature on the art. Um, Simple story. And uh, creepy James Jr. as usual from Frank of Yeah, it's interesting that Batman doesn't realize who it is uh, because the the mother, obviously Bat Sr., says thank you for saving him again and, and Batman goes again. Like he doesn't realize who it is. Yeah, uh, you know, a short story. I think this is the one that sort of pulled me out of the world of Batman the most out of all these stories because for the most part it was very Batman-centric. But for this one it just really seemed like, oh man, it's James Jr. again. Like really sort of sowing some seeds that I don't know where this is going to go. But um, I mean, it's awesome. It's well done. I agree totally 
just that panel when the lightning flashes and obviously you just see like the glasses but don't see um his eyes behind it that that's really when you get to see the the creepiness of him but but well done but like i said sort of the one that really pulled me away from the issue next up the sacrifice written by mike bar art by gilliam march this is uh the phantom stranger um, you know, this story, a lot of, for the most part, reminds me of so many different short stories of Batman before that have talked about, you know, what if his parents didn't die, how things would be different. We've seen this multiple times. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Mike Barr decided to have Natalia Trusevich as Bruce's uh, wife, um, other than <laughs> yeah. she's really one of the few females that's been heavily focused on since the New 52 um, there's been other females in the books in the New 52, but yeah. she's the one who had, you know, he actually revealed her his secret to. She ended up dying. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he chose to use it, because they said, you know, we want this to be somebody who's within the New 52. This is the one that makes the most sense. That's why it ended up happening. Um, is it a surprise that Gotham is still, you know, in ruins? You know, it's it's a little bit different than some of the incarnations where, uh, or some of the other stories where Bruce's parents live, where, you know, the city's a happy place because, you know, his parents, you know, they didn't die. They, did, you know, they were able to, mm-hmm. to keep doing their ph- philanthropic ways uh, to keep the city, of you know, from being a cesspool that it ends up becoming later on. Um, you know, there's a lot of differences here um, with with uh, the, the stuff that's happened. Um the one thing that I that I thought was weird was Thomas Thomas Wayne. He ended up losing his arm um, from that gunshot, yeah. which would I, I would mm-hmm. assume would prevent him from being able to become or you know continue to be a surgeon. Um, so there was that. You know, there's the throwbacks to some of the events that are happening in elsewhere in the world with uh, Gordon being a quadriplegic and Ra's al Ghul taking over uh, one quarter of Europe. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things. And then the whole Richard Grayson, he's on death row because of the murder of Tony Zuko. You know, a lot of this stuff, you know, it's, we've seen stories like this before. I don't really look at this one and say, this is really that much better or that much different. I, the one thing I do want to pull out is that I thought it was interesting. It says that this story was written in memory of, uh, Bill Finger because, <clears throat> there wasn't really any stories that were dedicated to Bob Kane, and uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, there was story, yeah. you know, the 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 first story, the Chemical Syndicate, said that it was based off of the original story that appeared in Detective Comics twenty seven, which it was. But there's there's no stories here that anybody's like, oh, well, this one's dedicated to Bob Kane. I just thought that was kind of interesting. So I, this came out. When did this uh, come out? What, this issue. Okay. So it close to Christmas, um, and there are some some little snippets because uh, when in the previous issue on his birthday, you kind of saw a gang that was dressed up as Santa Claus wearing people. This really felt like it's a wonderful life to me, um, and the Phantom Stranger is you know the little angel that comes down to help um, our 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 protagonist in that movie. Um, Yes, thank you. Uh, so, but of course, it's like even worse. It's like take it. Let's take it several steps beyond what it could have been. Um, I feel like it almost goes too far to the right uh, because would a bullet wound like that? Would they have to remove? I guess. I mean, I'm no doctor, right? But I guess I just thought like you could be able to repair uh, some sort of damage. Perhaps it was just 
so bad, but to see that they he had to lose his arm is just incredible. Um, to know that Gordon is a quadriplegic instead of a um, a, a paraplegic like his daughter was, uh, is, is kind of shocking. Uh, again, taking it sort of two steps further. I like the, the Ra's al Ghul. Uh, just thinks that, you know, that's definitely something that could potentially happen. But um, the, the Dick Grayson was a little disturbing, especially just with the face and how, how uh, Guillaume March did it. I will note that there were no feet. Remember how he decided that Guillaume March really liked feet and Catwoman? There's like none of that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone picked that out. Uh, yeah, you know, I also, I, I agree with you, Dustin, you know, why pick this, um, why pick Natalia here, um, to, uh, to be the woman? And, and I guess I just think to the Batman, the animated series episode where, uh, Bruce has this, this vivid dream. I can't remember if he was under, uh, scarecrow gas or not. Uh, but I remember he was married to, or like he was engaged to Selena Kyle. And I guess that's always sort of the direction that I would see him going, but you do make a logical point that she was this one person that knew his actual identity and everything, but he's not even Batman now. So, uh, so very, just, you know, very, uh, it's a wonderful life, but this was like the downer for me, the downer story of them all and, and just really dire. But in the the end it's you know sort of a good message that in this false reality his father was willing to sacrifice his arm to save his family and here bruce realizes that uh the sacrifice of his family is is what was needed in order to carry on his mission and and to ultimately and hopefully help gotham so the next story is the story uh gothatopia by john layman and art by jason mm-hmm. fabic just kicking off the gothatopia storyline um you know for the most part I don't really have a whole lot to say other than I'm I'm not really understanding the direction of this story. Yes, I get it uh, that uh, Gotham City is, you know, a little bit more safe, a lot less need for the heroes, so they decide to mm-hmm. do more emergency-type uh, situations with car crashes and fires and stuff like that. That's great. I do have to say that I think Fabic's art for uh, Bluebell, Brightbat, uh, and Cat Catbird... I think their I think their costumes are really cool. I mean, like they're they're, mm-hmm. they're not that much yeah. different than what they normally are. They're just colored differently. Um, I'm not really seeing a whole lot. It looks like there's a little bit more armor on Batgirl's suit, and uh, for whatever reason, Batwoman has uh, some uh, mesh underneath her arms and on her hand on her gloves. There are webs, web pits, like Spider Man. Not web pits. <laughs> um, anyway. But, uh, you know, I think that the art was really good. I think that was the highlight more so than anything else for me um, with this story. I don't really understand the direction of it. I don't really, underst- I don't really get where it's going. Um, basically, what I'm, under- I'm, 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 I'm understanding, which I may be completely off, but uh, Batman has been poisoned in some way, possibly by Poison Ivy, and he's hallucinating this alternate reality that's involving all of these other people. As soon as he starts to realize it, the hallucination is too strong, and it's uh, basically he's in a bad situation where the hallucination is beating the crap out of him. He's going to get locked in Arkham. Um, why he keeps flashing back from the Gothatopia version to the other version, I don't really understand. Why at the end he's seeing all of the villains the way he is, Um when he's locked up inside of whatever it is, um, I don't, I don't really know. Um, I, I don't know the direction. I will say that I will be reading the other stories that are linked into this to try to understand it to see if it's going to play out well or not. 
But, uh, yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this. Okay, well, let me, I, I got my theories as well. Uh, I actually really liked this. I wasn't sure, you know, another event, what's this about? And especially, I, I just think it's an odd wits to include with this tie-ins, just, you know, Batwing, Catwoman, really these minor tier, well, I guess except for Batgirl, but, you know, you got Birds of Prey as well, and I just thought, mm, what, what's this going to do? But it not only, I, I am going to say something about Marvel. It sort of reminds me of House of M and, and when they had these tie-ins. And this all started with, no, no more mutants. They had a bunch of tie-ins. And I very vividly remember the Spider-Man one because even though he was in this alternate reality, he realized that something was amiss. And this is really what I see with this entire story is that once he, especially when he gets, he pulls that thorn out, he starts to realize, really, and I guess perhaps it really starts with that, that suicide and starting to put things together. He realizes that something is up and something is not right. I feel like the the different heroes coming and attacking him is not a hallucination a hallucination but they are actually under whatever sort of control scarecrow has and they are not breaking through this utopian vision and batman is finally able to see so that's why when you start to see him in his black costume you start to see catbird morris catwoman and everything he's starting to break through but everyone else is still under the guise that oh there's something wrong with batman we got to take him down so when he's at the hospital i think when you see you know dr crane and he looks legitimate but then then when, you know, I think that's through Catwoman because she's still under some sort of control. But then you see his lips and then you see all these people because Catwoman has walked away and now you got Batman. So you brought up a really good point. I don't know if you real realize that you did this in your recap. The fact that there are no men about. And I think that's something very telling. Perhaps Scarecrow has some sort of control only over the women and he had to get rid of all of the men. Well, somehow um, as Alfred appears yes very true and he is somehow I think he knows what's going on as well because uh, Bruce I think realized there was something wrong because he sent the, th the thorn for analysis but I think if he would have said please analyze my blood for me Alfred would have thought something was up and then sent something so I, I think this is awesome and it's like they're it's I don't know I I think it needs to be kind of crazy and, and difficult to follow, but I think if you look at it at two different levels, like what is Batman seeing and how is he sort of pulling back this cloud and how are these other people if they are in fact infected by something, um, how what are they seeing because I, I think it's just like if you're doused with something. I remember the Justice League episode when uh, Superman and Wonder Woman got like hit by something. I think they were, it was the Faust episode and they're fighting each other because they see like these monsters I think that's perhaps what um, just Catwoman and all the other ones they see like Batman is uh oh there's something wrong here and so they're fighting him for his own protection but Batman is realizing that it's sort of the opposite that there's something wrong overall um, so I'm actually pretty excited about this or I think it's pretty cool uh, but I hope it keeps up with this and, and I'm looking forward to see how it ties into um, other books I'll at least be reading the Batgirl and uh, Birds of Prey but perhaps I'll pick up uh, Batwing and Catwoman, who knows what that'll be like, uh, to see how those characters are dealing with the two, especially Batwing, because if he's a male, you know, how is he being affected by this? Right. So then the last story that we had, which was the 27 story written by Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy, uh, this was kind of an interesting story. I mean, not only is it futuristic mm -hmm. and, you know, the, I mean, the coolest probably shot in the entire book, for me at least, was the, the various different, uh, 
all the basically the the enhancements of the Batcave because this is more future set. The fact that instead of the giant uh, dinosaur that we're, we've grown so accustomed to, we've got this mechanical shark. Um, mm-hmm. You know the 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 bat plane or Batmobile basically looks like uh, <laughs> almost Star like Wars a, like yeah, X-wing yeah, Tie Fighter, some kind of Star yeah. Wars vehicle. Um, the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was some of the uh, cases that they have. Um, the names of the heroes that were featured in the cases that I could see at least was Bluebird and Lark. Um, I, I don't know if that's mm. foreshadowing anything. Scott Snyder, I would say, is definitely somebody who who plants Easter eggs yeah. for upcoming stories. And it didn't look like when they were featuring, uh, when they were showing the various versions of Batman through time, it didn't seem as if any of the sidekicks that uh, Batman had was any of those two characters. Um, then we see uh, a couple of different villains that they focused on, two Backwards Man and Harvest. Um, again, I don't know if that that was focusing or on purpose, but then also on that same page we see Bluebird and Lark again. So I really think that maybe that could be hinting at something, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I don't have really much to say about this issue. It's kind of interesting that uh, Batman and Superman, yep, pops Superman up. has a little of appearance uh, behind that bus mm-hmm. um, and a giant Talon fighting robot. I mean, there's not a whole lot that I have to say about this issue. I mean, it was it was all right. There, I don't really have any problems with it. I thought the art was great. Sean Murphy's art. Um, we've seen it in the past. It's 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 good. It's very detailed. Um, it's some of the st- some of the shots that he does are just absolutely insane. Some of those shots with Batman and working with his sidekicks in various different situations, they're just insane shots. I mean, it's it's you gotta have a really good imagination to come up with some of the stuff that we see in some of these shots, especially uh, some of the the villains and things that we've never seen before. You just have to have a really great imagination to come up with these different things. Um, you know, it's 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 pretty obvious that Batman would have some sort of contingency. This is just some far-fetched idea that he could possibly create clones of himself in order to be able to continue on the legacy of Batman. This isn't saying that this is, is what happens, this will happen. It's just a story. I look at it as it's just a story. I'm not reading into it other than maybe some of the Easter eggs that are popping up. But, uh, you know, it was, it was fine. I, I didn't have any problems with it. I thought that really... Uh, the art probably was a little bit better f- for me than the story itself. Um, obviously, Batman is never going to end regardless of whether it's a clone or whether it's somebody else. So I'll leave it at that. Um, one question I do have for you, Dustin, maybe you can explain this. Uh, so as the uh, – he kind of reminds me of a samurai, so I'll just say as samurai Batman is explaining all this, or perhaps it's Alfred. Do you think Batman's cloning Alfred as he's cloning himself? So he says he figured that each of us has about 27 years of effectiveness. So we talked about that. So at year 25, if the city is still stirring, we start the program as it takes two years to actualize. So this is how I'm thinking it. Please tell me if I'm wrong. Um, They're basically um, sitting there for 25 years. There's a need. They wake them up. But this is kind of saying that it takes them two years to get ready. So do they only work year 27 and then they're like shut down? I don't know if they shut down or if they – see, I don't think – like if it's a clone, I pro- it's probably just 
okay, you know, you've re- you've met your your limit on how long you're going to be able to last. They're not saying the other thing that they're not they're not saying, which is odd, is the fact that they're not saying they're not saying how old the characters are when you know they they mm-hmm. come out of the program or whatever. You know, he's, they're not saying he's he's 25 years old and he's got 27 years from that, which bring it up to about 52 years old. If it oh, is 52 years old, um, it's it's hard to believe that this other s- samurai Batman is a Batman or Bruce Wayne because he looks much older than 52 years mm-hmm. old or 54 yeah. years old once the program runs out. Um, so that's hard to say. The, the one thing that was kind of odd is the fact that uh, the samurai Batman also is missing an arm. He, mm-hmm. he does not have his his uh, right arm, which is the same arm mm-hmm. that Thomas Wayne was missing in that earlier story. Um, the other thing that's, that is just kind of interesting is the fact that if he, two years ago, if he was to the point where the city still needed help and he did this, and this is actually the you know the clone that had to create the next clone, it seems that he's a little bit... He, he's got some problems. I mean, I, I don't know if it's maybe just an art thing or what, but in that very last panel where it says, Never the End, it almost looks like one of his eyes is uh, is is rolled over where he's, he doesn't use oh, it anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he's lost his arm, he's walking with a cane, so I have to wonder, is 27 years a little too long <laughs> at that point? Yeah. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. for the like I said, I, I I thought the art was amazing for this, and that's what carried. Yeah, me. yeah, I agree with you certainly about the art. I, I think especially this this last page, or I guess really starting because uh, he says the door is right there. Well, Batman says dot dot dot. Uh, you said if you stay, what if I don't want to stay? And then Samurai says the door's right there, going up. Uh, it's up to you, but. If I if I'm you, I'd go fast, and then you know this this call comes, um, and in the uh, the Batman commentaries uh, that that Donovan's been doing, so you should go take it out. Uh, when he and I did Tiger Tiger, you know, I just brought up this like idea of uh, a created be- being, and does a created being have a soul and things like that, and kind of I feel like this brings up a deep question, just this idea of. If he is a clone, because I think the question is really open, because he says, are you saying I'm a, and it dot, 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 and then the samurai says, you're him. So there's an open-ended question. We don't really know what he is. But, you know, if he is created, uh, he still has a sense of duty with him, because he is going up, then this thing comes in, lion, man, uh, arc, raiding, unquit, I don't know what that is, but... um, yeah, so someone is attacking, you know, a group of people, and he he turns around and and he goes and helps. So, uh, you know, just this deep question of you know what is actually involved in creating somebody, and and how how did Bruce get these people to to have this conscience and this sense of duty and and a, a moral compass and everything, uh, which I think is is great. But who knows if Scott Snyder wanted that to be. A, deep question involved in there but um yeah it's kind of it's difficult to follow i think it's one of those stories you need to read through more than once but i totally agree that the art is awesome uh definitely batman beyond almost takes it a step further and just thinking about what it's going to be like there and and different people that may pop up all right and then the last thing we'll talk about is all the little art shots that they have throughout Mm -hmm. the issue um i'll say my favorite one was probably the one by jacques uh the the one where he it's Batman standing over the city and the calendar pages are flying all over the place. Yes. I really enjoyed yep. that one. My least favorite was Kelly Jones. 
Um, oh my gosh! It's not a secret to anybody out there that I'm not a huge Kelly Jones fan. I really don't like the vamp, yeah. the vampiristic Batman, um, which seems to be the only thing that Kelly Jones really does with Batman, with the really long ears and the overabundance of uh, the over. Oh. I shouldn't say overabundance. The over. Uh, accenting of the the mouth of Batman and how it could possibly be fangs and things like that. I just don't like it. Um, and honestly, when I look at he's he's drawn other characters inside the Batman universe, um, but looking at the picture in this specific issue that he did, Harley Quinn does not look good. Uh, the only one that looks all right is Azrael, and that's just because well. There's not really a way you can mess up Azrael that far away without having a lot of details. So, um, yeah, I'll say that, and uh, <laughs> I'll wait for my uh, scolding by Stella. Oh, no, no, I just wondered, um, I wondered if it was Red Rain Batman, actually. And and I was going to ask you, like, hey, why does he have Red Rain Batman along with, like, these other... Like, it's just a very interesting well, it's, um, choice of characters that he well, puts the in thing. there. Okay, I think part of it has to do with the time frame of when Kelly Jones was doing a lot of the stuff in the books. Uh, Bane was very prominent. Azrael was very prominent in the books. You'll see that the Tim Drake... Uh, or the Robin featured here is the Tim Drake version from the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not real sure why Harley Quinn's there. That doesn't make a lot of sense other than I guess they just needed yeah. somebody who has a, some female with a chest. Um, <laughs> I, I just I don't know why else they'd have it. But, the, yeah, it does look like Red Rain, but that's the thing. When you look at a lot of the stuff that Kelly Jones has done with Batman, it looks like that a lot of the times. Um, you'll notice mm-hmm. that you know he doesn't have the fangs here, but he has those long ears. It looks like he's got claws. That's just that's his style, and that's why I don't like it. You'll see that you know you can see his teeth. Why? How many times do we see Batman's teeth? It's just it's just you know why is Batman flying through the air with his mouth with his teeth, you know, gritted gritted he's shut. Happy. It's not a smile though. It's almost like, He's trying really hard to smile. I don't know. Uh, I totally agree. I think Jock is, in fact, my favorite one. I like the Gleason one because I think he really captures um, the old school uh, Batman vibe. Uh, I know some people hate Batmite with the, with the passion, but I think Jock will be my number one. Yeah, that's all. That's all I got. People can take a couple shots because I agreed with you on our favorite picture. All right, so... Detective Comics number 27, I'm going to give a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. I am going to give it a 5 out of 5. Uh, yeah, I had uh, you know some complaints, but overall I, I thought it was amazing. Um, it was longer, but I, I didn't feel like, oh man, it's 85 pages. And I only wish we could have known what those last 11 pages were. And uh, Joe gave the book a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings. Uh, so that's going to give the book a total of 4 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book. Damien, Son of Batman, number three. You are completely out of your mind. Damien, Son of Batman, number three, If Animals Could Talk, and my subtitle is Talking Kitty. (laughs) Uh, Writer and artist Andy Kubert and colorist Brad Anderson. 
After being pretty messed up in the uh, fight against the Dollatrons and left for dead, Batman, a.k.a. Damien, has the muck and detritus in the uh, polluted Gotham River to thank for keeping him afloat and alive. But Alfred is the one he has to thank for pulling him out of the river and actually patching him up. Alfred made a promise to Bruce to look after Damien, but is unhappy as to how he has had to do that quite recently. So after much work, a deep concern that there may in fact be some brain damage if there wasn't some there before, Alfred needs a break and a spot of tea. He sits down with Alfred the cat, and there his life uh, tragically comes to an end. He's just been worked to death, really. Alfred the cat then jumps upon Damien's gurney. And he actually starts to uh, to speak to uh, Damien. Uh, and, and the cat sounds just like Alfred the human. And, of course, as any normal human being would be, Damien is a little taken aback. Across town, several jackanapes and a giant shark have kidnapped a school bus filled with children. Alfred the cat alerts Damien of this, and Batman bursts into the bus in the nick of time, taking down Sharky and some others, uh, but being a little too sure of himself and getting nicked with some knives. But in the end, you know, while he may be brutal, he keeps to his new vow and actually doesn't kill any of them. He stops the bus, and then he lets the GCPD wrap everything up. Uh, Batman goes to the priest that he's been visiting each issue, uh, as I will say, a.k.a. James Gordon, because that's what I believe. And he tells him that he's become the Batman, and he's trying to harness uh, or keep in check his inner demons. The priest tells him that the jackanapes have confessed. Uh, Pig has fled, but he's going to be tracked down. But what about the Joker? And Batman wonders how the priest knows about Joker. And he demands to know who he is, but he leaves the confessional before Batman can find out. Back at the cave, Batman reflects on Alfred's funeral, which was pretty empty since the majority of the people who knew him uh, probably passed away before him. And he talks to Alfred the cat about his father's progress, his health progress, and, you know, wondering how he'll react with Damien being Batman. Alfred believes that Bruce will forgive him, and Damien then wonders if he should ask his father for assistance in the Joker case. Alfred kills a mouse, and Damien is uh, grossed out by this. How ironic. Damien and Alfred the cat go to visit Bruce in in the upstairs part of the mansion and find out that he's gone uh, with a Joker card. And on the Joker card is um, a Joker, obviously, holding a fishing rod with a yellow fish. And this is in place of Bruce's body, obviously. So Batman goes down to the docks where he last was with the previous Batman, Dick Grayson, and, of course, the scene of Dick's uh, death. And he sees a bloody bandage, and he realizes, well, this is too obvious. But he follows the blood, and this concerns him. He moves under the deck, and, um, and he sees his father tied up to a post. So he breaks in, and suddenly a horde of weird people, you know, we've got several jackanapes. One has a Santa hat, another one's, like, basically ready for guerrilla warfare. Uh, a dog, which is interesting, a, a little person, and, and a man that looks like Carrion from Spider-Man uh, appear with a disheveled Joker. Uh, so don't call it a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. Uh, it's not the original Joker, as he says, because he's probably in some sort of retirement home. But call him the Joker. Uh, and doesn't Bruce look ravaged? Machine. So all of a sudden we've got Gossip Gertie from Batman and Robin. And looks like Damien is next. He's going to be dolled up in a violent manner. So next we have the final punchline. Well, what are your thoughts on the death of Alfred? And Alfred, the, well, the appearance of Alfred the cat, the appearance of his talking 
So Death of Alfred and thoughts on Alfred the Cat. Well, I'd say that the Death of Alfred, you know, it, you know, again, Alfred is, he dies because he's worn out because, again, he's, he's helping and protecting the Wayne family. In this case, yeah. he was pulling Damien out of the, the river, which I'm sure Alfred's a little bit too old to be doing stuff like that. Um, and, you know, he dies. Now, moving over to Alfred the Talking Cat, um, kind of interesting. I have to wonder if, uh, as mentioned, if, uh, you know, it's because Damien has brain damage and that's why he's hearing the yeah. cat talk, or if it's because, in fact, somehow something has. There's <laughs> not a real yeah. way of explaining it because it's not even shown on the pages as, to, as far as, you know, why the cat would somehow have the voice of mm-hmm. Alfred. So I'm guessing it has to do with the brain damage of, of Damien and, yeah. you know, maybe that's just that's just how it's going to be. Now, the other thing that is interesting to note is that cats tend not to have a super long life, um, you know, maybe 20 years. So if this cat's going to be around and be Damien's Alfred, I have to wonder, I don't know. It's it's an odd situation talking cat named alfred it was it was odd to begin with that the cat was named alfred in the first place but that's i mean that that didn't happen in this this issue or this series that happened way before because that's what damien named it Mm -hmm. um (laughs) so i mean like it's kind of like an interesting uh it's kind of an interesting idea of you know the fact that this is that cat and that damien named alfred and just so happens to be talking like alfred I'm chalking it all up to Damien's got some sort of injury. It's probably never going to be healed, and maybe he just is a little cuckoo, and he's always talking to this cat as if it's Alfred. Yeah. I'm trying to think back to some of those um, uh, issues we read when when it was like the fall of Gotham, sort of Batman 666 storyline, and whether he talked. Because I felt like he... Thinking about it now, like he talked to Alfred in this manner as well. So I wonder if it's something that uh, does, in fact, continue. I'd have to look back to some of those issues that we um, read. I do. I do remember him talking to somebody, but I don't remember. I don't remember if it was ever actually shown who he was yeah. talking to. But and now I'm thinking about it that that most recent issue of Batman Incorporated that right, him, yeah, that actually showed mm-hmm. how he dies. That I almost want to say that there was a, a point where he was talking to someone very very like openly but nobody was ever around him as if he was talking to somebody the entire yeah. time so maybe that might actually i might have to go back and pull up that issue too and uh, and see and yeah see. i feel like the cat was still around as gotham was burning i feel like i i remember yeah. seeing him but you do bring up a good point like if if a cat was let's just say 20 years i mean how old is damien right now and and he was what 12 13 when he first rescued him so that's interesting the death of alfred you know what a fitting sacrifice though for him uh, i like that he's still sort of snarky towards the end and saying he has to lodge a grievance because this is not what he signed up for but you know his last thing is is helping damien and and patching him up and and really fulfilling that vow that he made to bruce that he would look out for him um but it just it just took his toll um if it weren't brain damage because i had to like go back once he started talking i like flip back the pages i'm like what just happened but there is that one panel where you have alfred sort of glossy eyes um uh, half closed after he had died and it's seen it through uh 
in in a reflection of the the cat's eyes. So you you're looking actually at Alfred the cat's eyes, and you're seeing Alfred dead. So unless there's some sort of voodoo and transference, um, it probably is the brain damage. You know, I love it actually. I don't know if it's just because I'm the female on the cast, but I was like, oh, it's a little kitty, and you get to talk to him. It's kind of fun that you know, because Damien is a loner, and after this, he is all by himself. So even though it is. Um, you know, obviously he's gone over the edge somehow. Um, it's nice that potentially he has someone to talk to, even though if it's, it's in his head. What are your thoughts on this new Joker here, just from what we've seen? So we've seen him potentially being that nurse. We still, I think we were not really in agreement as to whether that was him or a Jokerified nurse. Um, and just him popping up now with this, this army that he has behind him and, and just how he acts and what he looks like. What do you think? You know, like it's explained, you know, obviously this is probably not the the, the real Joker. Um, he says himself he's not the real Joker, and I don't know why he would lie about it. Yeah. Was. Um, so I don't know if this is the same character that we saw in the last issue that was that mm-hmm. nurse. Um, it's hard to say because at this point it seems like there's a whole army of people here. Um, you know, we saw Jake, Jack and Apes being killed a couple issues ago, only to find out that there's a whole <laughs> yeah. group of Jack of Jack and Apes. So, I you know, it's I don't really have a whole lot of thoughts as to you know, Joker. You know, I, I'll leave it for the next issue because I mean, he was briefly introduced. He's clearly leaving clues as if the old Joker or the same way the old Joker would do it. Um, he clearly has been building an army. It's, it's almost. Reminiscent to me, almost as of uh, in Batman Beyond, how there was the Joker. Oh yes, where there was like a there was a group of characters mm-hmm. who basically prided themselves off of the idea of who the Joker was, but never actually claimed to one of them claimed to be the, that they were the Joker. So that's almost the feeling I got when the army was shown. That's that's what I immediately thought of. But uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, who, we'll have to wait and see because I think the next issue is going to deal a lot more heavily on the Joker and the Joker's army and the Jack and Apes and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, his army I think is certainly interesting. It reminds me of the DD and DD and, and you know, all those guys that we, we that popped up a lot of times in uh, Justice League when they went to the future and Batman Beyond and everything. The dog reminds me of in Batman Brave and the Bold, one of the intro scenes was like the boy something like it starts with a K and like his dog and they're on this planet of talking dogs. You know, do you remember that episode? It's like yes. Cull Mandy c- something. Commandy. Yeah, uh, and Mandy the last yes, boy or, or the last boy or something. Yeah, and yeah the dog boy. sort of. Re- I don't know what that dog is. I guess I kind of want a story, but there's probably not going to be one. Something about the Joker that really seems off for me, and it, I think it may be telling of his personality or who he really is, is just the the way he is so disheveled, um, and his suit is all messed up. Because if you were to do a side by side, the Joker that we know, like he is, even though he is insane. Um, he is a very put together guy and like his suit is always pretty nice and his hair for the most part. I mean, let's just not think about the mask and the face and everything, but his hair is pretty together. But this guy, like his pants are all ripped up. His hair is all over the place. So I just wonder if there's um, something there. I I don't think we can tell right now, but perhaps in this final.
final issue that we're going to read next time, we can figure out perhaps um, a little more about him. Or I'm just grasping at straws. But I think that that's a very big difference uh, between the Joker that we know and this Joker. Uh, my final question is, uh, is Bruce dead? Because I, I don't know. He, Damien says, I'm sorry. I feel like he's still alive, but he's in bad shape. Or do you think he's going to die at the end of this uh, this series here, at the end of issue four? I honestly feel that he is going, that he's alive mm-hmm. and that he's going to live. Okay. Um, I think it would be a little bit too much for the story to also kill Bruce Wayne. I think there's a lot more questions that I think need to be answered before or by the end of next issue because that is the last issue next time around. I, I, I'm hoping that we get some explanation as to who's that priest, if it is Commissioner Gordon. Um, you know, Bruce Wayne resolves that. We find out whether or not Damien actually has a problem because what's the next time we're going to see Damien inside of a book? Um, <laughs> future presence you know you know when's the next time we're going to see it you know it's probably going to be a little bit of time Mm -hmm. so i'm just hoping they answer some more of these questions so that we can understand we can at least understand what andy kubert was trying to get across Mm -hmm. here i i agree you know in the words of the beloved josh bertone be too much too much if they were to kill off bruce and you know hopefully there's some sort of happy ending as happy as bruce or as happy as batman can have and maybe there's a reconciliation um, as much as there can be between Bruce and Damien. Uh, but it'll be interesting. I mean, is he going to spend, you know, the, the last full issue fighting and, and getting, you know, helping Bruce and everything? Because that seems like that could be really pulled or dragged out. Or um, is he going to find pigs? So it'll be interesting to see how he uh, how he wraps it up. I'm glad that it's only four issues. I think that perhaps this story could have certainly dragged along if he would have pulled it out more. But now it just really comes down to this final issue and how it's wrapped up and, and if it's satisfying because I think this character, you know, Damien really does deserve uh, a swan song if this is the last time we see him for a little while. Damien, Son of Batman, number three. I'm going to give a total of three out of five Batarangs. And I'm going to step it up a little bit, and I'm going to say because of that cat, and he is so cute, and I enjoyed him talking. Four out of five. All right, and Joe gives the book two and a half out of five Batarangs, so it's going to give Damien, Son of Batman, number three, a total of three out of five Batarangs. See, it's because you're men, and I'm a female, and I enjoyed the cat. I, I give no, it a higher grade. No, I didn't mind the cat. I just it's it's not I gave uh the Dark Knight number I gave the Dark Knight number twenty six four out of five and I don't think that this was as good as the Dark Knight. That's gonna bring us into our last book, Batman Robin number twenty six. There's just one problem. What's that? You're talking to the wrong Harvey. Batman and Robin slash Batman and Two Face number twenty six, written by Peter J. Tomossi with art by Patrick Gleason. The issue opens with Aaron McKillen tied to a chair at the dining table in Wayne Manor. Bruce explains he paid Max's loan to bring her to him as the next highest bidder wanted her dead. Bruce cuts her free from the chair and she calls her cousin, Kieran, to pick her up. While she waits for her ride, Aaron asks Bruce who he preferred, her or her twin sister Shannon. Bruce says that Shannon was one of the only people to get him to talk after his parents' deaths and after Aaron says she misses her, we're treated to a flashback. Harvey Dent is visiting Aaron and Shannon in prison to gloat about them being incarcerated, and they are furious, as they say he has betrayed them. We then cut to them in their separate cells after they have been imprisoned for three years. They both draw straws, and Shannon, who had the shortest, commits suicide by hanging herself. Aaron begins screaming, and when the guard comes, it's clear that they have a deal. 
Aaron is brought to the morgue to identify the body, but the bodies are switched. The deceased Shannon is taken back to the cell and Aaron stows away in a body bag. Back at Wayne Manor, Kieran shows up to take Erin, but before she leaves, Bruce plants a tracer on her. On her way to the airport, Erin wants to stop at her sister's grave, but Kieran drugs her. She wakes up in front of Two-Face and the grave of Gilda Dent. Two-Face aims to kill Erin, but she manages to convince him that Kieran and his men will just kill him afterwards, so Two-Face begins firing upon the crown instead. Batman bursts onto the scene, but not before Kieran is killed. He goes about his usual business of beating up the bad guys, but a large angel tombstone comes crashing down at him as he falls into an empty grave. So my first question is, other than, obviously, Batman, I'm not really sure who we're supposed to be rooting for in this issue, because they're kind of turning Eren, in this issue at least, into a kind of sympathetic character after we've seen what happened to her sister, and, you know, with her kind of being saved at the end, with, with Kieran dying, it was a bit strange even though she's kind of like this murderer and thief. And we're also kind of seeing Harvey Dent being portrayed as this guy who's always been bad with this idea of betrayal. But then I'm not sure if that's kind of because they knew each other as children and it's just they see him as stabbing them in the back. But I was wondering your thoughts on that. The the big thing about whether who's supposed to be the sympathetic character, I think, is supposed to be, you know, I, I almost feel as if the, the first couple issues was supposed to be Harvey Dent because they, sh- mm-hmm. they showed his tragic story of how he got his face scarred, how, how Gilda was killed, and now they're, they've, this with this issue they focus a little bit more on Aaron, and like you said, like, like Joe said, it's a lot more about whether or not you know the fact that her sister killed herself to basically save her save Aaron, you know the there's. I don't know. I, I have a hard time understanding the direction of what they're trying to accomplish with this. I think that we're really just supposed to be le- not necessarily picking a side. Maybe that's maybe that's really what it's supposed to be. Maybe the reason why the story is being told the way it is is so that we you know we feel sympathy for Harvey Dent, we feel sympathy for Aaron. But the point is that you know you don't pick one or the other. You're in the middle like Batman is, where they're both criminals. They're both doing something wrong. Yeah, I, I think um, uh, it is. It's a really good question to ask, uh, and, and I think we are meant to sort of sway between the two, because yes, you know Harvey Dent, we see Gilda and everything, and then all of a sudden we've got, um, we, we see how Shannon died almost for her sister to have freedom, which was you know a great sacrifice, and we don't really know yet. I think the details of this betrayal of Two Face or Harvey Dent at that time, uh, but I think it, it's it's really just like. Um, forever evil is apparently getting at this idea that being evil or being bad is it's still there are sort of levels of it and it's not black and white Um, so I think they're just like you're you're able to sympathize with both of them and that's what makes it a a strong story so I, I feel like it's just like it's rooted in this evil and in it you see like these moments of good that sort of pop out from characters or you see like this tragedy and and how it led them down there so I feel like there's no yes or no answer that oh this person is a protagonist this one's the antagonist thing and and I think that's that's a great characteristic of this particular particular story Okay, and my second question is, I just kind of thought it'd be interesting and worth mentioning the amount of clues in the art to the idea of Two-Face, you know, like either profile shots or half the faces being in shadow and other things like that. I was wondering if you liked that attention to detail or if you kind of found it 
unsubtle and I guess a bit distracting. Well, I think the biggest thing about the art is that yes, there are plenty of shots with Harvey Dent having the cracked uh, the cracked glass split his face in half, the two mirrors with. Uh, Aaron holding one and mm-hmm. Shannon holding the other. You know, there's there's obviously plenty of different clues, but I think that the the biggest thing about it is that do I think it's distracting? Mm, no. Do I notice them? Yes, I do notice them. I, I I probably don't notice every single one of them, but I did notice a bunch of them. And you know, for the most part, I don't really find it too distracting because for the most part, there's you know they're they're telling this this is Batman and Two Face. They are trying to tell the story of Two Face. So if they're constantly hinting at what will come or you know the idea of that, even though we're not seeing Two Face in the issue, Two Face is still pre- you know this is essentially the story of Two Face. Um, even if it is focusing on Aaron, I think that's that's probably the point of what they're trying to get across with all those clues. Yeah, and and it really started with the um, the first issue, I think, when we were talking about there was like this diseased section of the bed, or I, I can't remember like the details of it, but it was very much like um, Long Halloween and the diseased pumpkin inside and everything. And it's been really sort of sh- going throughout and hitting different characters because you wouldn't always, it wouldn't always be Two-Faced, but you'd see it on other characters like Gordon or Batman. The bat signal was a big thing in the the second part of this, and now uh, obviously Aaron, uh, Aaron and Shannon and everything. And I, I think there'd be some people out there, cough, cough, Josh Bertani, who would say that it is too much, too in your face. But I think it is subtle enough, uh, that, and it's not in your face, and it's just wonderful to sort of pick these little things out, um, and, and it goes along with the story. My question actually is, I wonder if Tamazi had written these little details in or he gave general directions and then um, the artist was the one that was really detailing all of these little things and there's so much more than we're actually seeing so that would be a cool question to ask and find out about all right so batman robin number 26 i'm going to give a total of three out of five batarangs uh, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five batarangs um at this point even though we're learning more and more about, you know, piecemeal and sort of adding um, and the timeline is slowly getting pieced together. Um, I'm wondering how long this storyline is going to last. And I feel like if it goes much longer than the next issue, it's going to be too long. So um, I hope it wraps up and in a suitable amount of time. All right. And Joe also gives the book three out of five bettering. So that's going to give Batman and Robin number 26 a total of Three out of five betterings. That is all of our books. I want to. All right. So over on the website, just a couple of other books that were reviewed that uh, maybe you should take a look at. Uh, Suicide Squad number twenty-five was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it three and a half out of five betterings. Justice League number twenty-six, also reviewed by Corbin, was rated four and a half out of five betterings. Mm. Beware the Batman number three, reviewed by Chris Carnes. He gave it two out of five betterings. And last but not least, Red Hood and the Outlaws was reviewed by Adam Martin, and he gave it one out of five veterans. <laughs> so Good to think. <laughs> some things don't change. So if you are interested in possibly looking at some other books, you've got some ratings to kind of go off of. You can always check out the mm-hmm. website to read those reviews so you can kind of get an idea of what is good and what is bad based off of those reviews. Uh, that being said, now it's time for Bat Books for Beginners, so let's throw over to John.
and welcome to another episode of Back Books for Beginners. I am your host, John, and on this episode we'll be covering the final three issues in Batman No Man's Land Volume 1. This will cover Detective Comics 733 and Asriel, Agent of the Bat, 54 and 55. It features writing by Bob Gale and Dennis O'Neill and art by Phil Winslade and Roger Robinson. As these are the final three issues of Batman No Man's Land Volume 1, I'll also be giving my impression at the end of this episode about the book itself in its entirety. But let's start with the comics first of all. We open with Batgirl being confronted by Jim Gordon. He tells her to tell Batman he isn't wanted or welcome in police territory. Jim is still angry at him leaving and states to Sarah that he doesn't need Batman. We then cut to the Penguin who discovers he has competition in controlling Gotham's supplies. We then move to Batman who is dispensing justice. He stops a man who he thinks is killing another, but discovers that the man he is killing was already dead, and that the man who was attacking him instead wants to go to prison because he thinks it's better than being out in Gotham. Batman then comes across two women fighting over a baby. In the end, he decides neither can have it and takes it away. He returns back to the Batcave and talks to Alfred, stating he is confused as to what exactly he is doing here. Alfred tells him the story of a time when his father broke into a pharmacy to help get drugs for a boy. The boy died and he was blackmailed by the owner of the pharmacy until he shared his problems with Alfred and together they solved the problem. This inspires Bruce and they tell the man who was trying to look for shelter by going to prison to head to police territory and work for them and that the child is in fact given to both women because two parents are much more important in Gotham at this time. Asriel opens with a dancing skeleton killing someone. Asriel comes across it and starts to investigate. He then encounters an old man who, it transpires, has been kicked out by his family. As they had to make a choice about who would eat, the grandfather, the father or the daughter. Asriel returns the grandfather and promises that he will get supplies for all of them. As he searches for the supplies, he rescues a boy from drowning. But when he returns him, he is threatened by a gang who Asriel beats up. He and the boy continue to move through the town, but discover the grandfather's body, who was once again kicked out by the father and daughter. Asriel carries on his journey and goes to visit Oracle. They talk and declare that they love each other like a brother and sister. However, they are being watched by the skeleton who vows to help Oracle die. Azrael then visits Leslie Tompkins in her clinic and they talk. However, they are interrupted by a boy who says his aunt has been killed. They go and have a look at why and investigate the area and discover that it was the dancing skeleton. The skeleton has caught up with Oracle. However, before he can kill her, he is taken down by Azrael and the issue ends with Azrael returning to the clinic with Leslie and helping out in the situation. So that's the overview of the stories. I thought the first one, which was Detective Comics, was really, really good. It expands the story of Gotham and how life is inside it. We see Batman struggling on how to cope with something that is a massive change. It's changed the face of Gotham and Batman is feeling despondent about how he can't really help his city, which has been a theme pretty much from the start, especially as we saw in the run up to Road to No Man's Land where he got frustrated because he wasn't able to make a difference as 
Bruce Wayne, and now he can't really make a difference as Batman. It's nice to see what's going on inside the city and also what's happening with the people inside it and how they're trying to cope. And that some people are making decisions that they don't really want to make or wouldn't have to make. And this is kind of encountering issues with Batman and how he deals with these things. I thought the art was very, very nice. There was a real continuity to it. Gotham looked quite grimy and dirty and down and out the people looked despondent you saw different kinds of people in different various stages of suffering so the people working for the penguin looked particularly healthy and quite nice whereas the people out on the street looked like they were really struggling and you really felt like this was a city on the edge the second story isn't as great i don't think it really adds to anything to be honest i didn't feel like we were encountering any anything in the same way that we did with Detective Comics. I think it was what they were trying to go for, but it didn't really come off at all in the issues. And I think, ultimately, it is quite disappointing. The skeleton isn't really explained. He's not a particularly threatening villain, and he's not really explained as to why he is like he is, how he's turned into this kind of person, why he wants to free people from their misery and stop the suffering. It's just said that that's what he wants to do, and he used to be a dancer and a decorator. And I don't really feel that there was any connection to it. The art was okay, it's the standard fare from the actual comics, so it's quite cartoony in places. There is a little bit of inconsistency, there's a bloodstain which tends to do a disappearing act on the child, so one minute's there, one minute's gone, and it's wearing the same clothing, and I thought that was rather disappointing. So overall, I'd give these a 3 out of 5 Matarangs. I thought the first one was particularly good, second ones I'm not so sure about, and I don't think you're missing anything if you don't pick up these issues. The main theme of Volume 1 has very much been the setting up of the story. It's really talked about what life is like inside Gotham and how people are coping. There hasn't really been a coherent storyline where we've felt that we've been able to move from one issue to the next and follow a constructive narrative. There have been one or two two-parters that have told a continuous storyline but they've not had an overall constructive narrative. Don't read this if you expect it to go from point A to point B in the style of any of the other Batman comics. But I really like that. I think that's really nice that we see how Gotham has changed, how it's made it into a completely different place, and it really sets the tone up. This is an excellent prequel, and I do think it's essential reading if you're looking at getting into Batman No Man's Land. As I said, there's no narrative. That really starts in Volume 2 and runs on through Volume 3 and Volume 4. But I do feel that you need to read this first to get a real impression of what is going on in the Batman universe. I certainly highly, highly recommend it. I'm going to be giving it a 4 out of 5 Batarangs. It's well worth picking up. So that's everything for this episode. When we return after Christmas and the New Year, we'll be taking a look at the first four issues of Batman No Man's Land Volume 2. These are Batman Legend of the Dark Knight 119, 
Shadow of the Bat 87, Batman 567 and Detective 734. And this really starts to pick up a narrative. We start to get a coherent storyline moving forward through these. And of course, much more importantly, if you're a Cassandra Cain fan, we get her first appearance in Volume 2. So that's everything for this episode. I want to wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And now I'll hand you back over to Dustin and the guys. Thanks very much for listening. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you are checking out the individual feed of the of the podcast Bat Books for Beginners so you can not only catch up on past episodes, but also leave comments on the individual episodes themselves so that John can talk with you guys, the Bat fans, about his individual reviews of each book. That being said, uh, we do have one listener Q&A. This is a Facebook comment that was sent over to us. It's from Pavel. He says, hey, even though Batman Eternal has not yet started and the year of the Batman not starting yet, we can only assume that Batman Eternal will be a success if for no other reason than Batman. My question to you all is, what do you think they will do next year for the 75th anniversary for Robin? Do you think it would be possible to see another weekly series? Well... I would say this uh, as much as next year is going to be the 75th anniversary for Robin, I, I find a very I find it very hard to believe that DC is going to throw any sort of celebration for the 75th yeah. anniversary of Robin. Um, once you get past Batman and uh, or Superman and Batman, you've got uh, an anniversary for Wonder Woman coming up. Uh, it'd be three years, I believe. She was created in 1942, if I remember correctly, um, where. You know they'll celebrate her anniversary, but outside of that, I don't really see them focusing on a lot of the supporting characters of characters that are appearing in other books. Um, there's there's a lot of characters that they can they can celebrate over the next couple of years. Robin, unfortunately, I do not think is going to be one of them. Um, Batman Eternal probably will be a success. I doubt they'll do any sort of Robin type series. Um, that's not to say that they couldn't do a Robin series. Um, come 2015 or the end of 2014 because we know with some of the books that they're eliminating uh, if Batman Eternal, depending on how long Batman Eternal lasts because at this point it's it's going to probably last at least six months based off of some of the interviews that Scott Snyder has done um, talking about how far in advance they've planned. Uh, they've also laid out the the uh, the way the series is actually going the way the series is actually going to be formatted where each writer is writing three to four issue story arcs a piece, they'll be printed simultaneously, and then we'll move to the next writer with the next arc. But the overall, all of the stories will be, all be happening at the same time. So, for example, if Scott Snyder's issue number one um, is happening and it goes through three issues, uh, when James Tingian starts issue number four, his issue will actually be taking place the same time as the non-existent Scott Snyder issue number four as well. So it'll the way they're, they're tying it all together is even though they're individual stories and they could be focusing on individual characters, 
each story somehow still all connects given the timeline of events for all of the story arcs. So, that being said, I don't know how long this will last. It was also recently revealed that John Lehman will not be working on Batman Eternal anymore. Um, that was just revealed, I believe, uh, just just at the beginning of the weekend, uh, on, on January 11th, that he's no longer to be a part of the book anymore. Um, we don't know any details on that. Maybe the details will be revealed on the website as as the the week goes on, but the I, I have to wonder how long the four writers that still are attached to the book are going to be able to continuously do three issue story arcs that are going to be releasing on a weekly basis. Because you factor, you got you know at least four weeks a month, so you're doing three issues up you know every month, and then you get you get maybe. What do you get? You get maybe nine weeks off, so you get two more months to create another three issues. So you're you're basically creating one issue a month um, during that time frame because you're still creating, you're still doing one per month. They're just being released weekly once the uh, other writers their their story arcs are done. But uh, I have to wonder how long they're actually going to be able to do this and make it work. Um, weekly series is, weekly series have tended in the past to last about a year. Um, this time around, I don't know if the the plan is to actually have it for a year and then, you know, break out and try to maybe give a couple of the other characters that are featured in Eternal some of their own series or not. You know, at this point, we don't really know. They've, they've said that it would be great if there were some characters in Batman Eternal that are focused on that could have their own series because they become, you know, they get a large fan base or whatnot. That would be great, um, but it's probably not going to happen until after Batman Eternal actually ends its its run, however long it will be. No, no, I do not think that they are going to do a Robin weekly series. Yes, for the most part, weekly series in DC have lasted for a year, but I think this one's going to go further. Um, but it's fatiguing for a writer. Um, I mean, again, I mentioned this before, but you know, Spider-Man has been doing three issues a month for several years now, and it is tiring, you know, for Dan Slott, and that's basically all he's doing. Don't want to say it's all it's doing because I, I don't know for sure, but um, I mean, he doesn't go it. He doesn't go to any of the comic cons really. Uh, he may go to New York, but he doesn't go to San Diego Comic Con because he's on this crazy schedule. So writers are either going to start dropping off. Or they're going to start dropping their doubled books. So who knows what that... But it's it's really fatiguing to keep on that sort of schedule. Um, Robin. Oh, poor Robin. What they'll do for the 75th anniversary is probably kill off Dick Grayson because he's going to die anyways, isn't he? After Forever Evil, who knows? Um, that'd be interesting though, if they killed him off and then Cassandra came, like popped up, bloop, and she decided she was going to be some sort of Nightwing character. Who knows? Um, yeah, that's kind of sad when you say it, though, Dustin, that no, they're not going to do anything. But, you know, you're probably right, and that's sad. Yeah. Um, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure something will happen as far as maybe they'll have Huzzah. some 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 sort A of, booster. like, I don't know. I, I, I don't even, I, like, I, I, I almost want to say maybe they'll have an issue talking about it's the 75th anniversary, but I honestly don't even think it'll go that far. I think it'll end up being like a blog post on their website. Happy birthday, Robin, who's 75 years old, and that'll be the end of it. Because I just don't see them actually doing anything like that. But Which is sad, because they should. But I, I, you know, I don't see them creating an entire weekly series or an entire event around the 75th anniversary of Robin. Because 
essentially he's still the sidekick of Batman, and that's 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 what he is. So they're not going to give him, you know... He, look at it like this. If they did a 75th anniversary for Robin, and they... And, and, and that point, if you did a 75th anniversary for Robin, how yeah, could you, how could you not do any of these other characters? You yeah, having agreed. to do like every year you'd have a 75th anniversary of somebody until you start hitting 100 years for other people. So I mean, like it'd, be, it'd get a little out of control. They got to limit it to a certain point. But anyway, with that, that is all of the listener Q and A's. Uh, for whatever reason, we had absolutely no comments on the last episode over on the website, which is kind of a disappointment. I call you out on any of you who <laughs> failed to leave your comments on the last episode and encourage you to leave your comments on the next episode. Um, you will have an additional week because uh, we're going to try to get back on schedule. So you'll hear us again in three weeks uh, so we can cover the, the final three weeks worth of books in the month of January. Um, in addition to that, uh, be sure to head over to the website for all the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and, of course, the comic news as well. Be sure to check out all of the other podcasts that we have to offer. If you're if you're big fans of Batgirl or if you're big fans of Tim Drake or Robin, uh, be sure to check out Batgirl to Oracle. Robin, everyone loves the Drake podcast, as well as taking the, the Batman Universe taking flight. Uh, all those episodes, all of those podcasts specifically focus on certain characters within the Batman Universe. Also, be sure to check out the Batman Universe commentaries. We've been releasing a ton of new episodes. Don has been pumping them out pretty quickly. And uh, be, be sure to leave your suggestions as to what you'd like to see in future commentaries or episodes you like com- uh, commentaries for over on the commentaries feed over on the website. Also, be sure to check out Batfans and the normal cast. And, uh, yeah, that's about it for this episode. So leave us reviews on iTunes. You can leave your comments or questions or concerns or complaints in the comment section below the podcast post over on the website. And you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. And, hey, you know, if you want to hear Stella does crypto the super dog commentary <laughs> be sure to let me know uh this is stella and you've been listening to the batman universe comic podcast we'll see you guys in three weeks